On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Can you keep all four of them? Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews. We can and, and we will. He gets free. Shoots Matthews, Okay, episode three, Tall or Nothing, uh, this Amazon Prime series. To me, guys, this was awesome. This this is my favorite episode so far. I don't know if it's going to keep building like this. If you guys recall, if you've listened to all of these, I thought episode one was was fine. Like it was, there was interesting moments, but there was a lot of stuff that didn't seem all that great. Um, but, you know, it was fine. Episode two, I really enjoyed. I thought we got some more behind the scenes stuff that I found interesting. You know, Jimmy VC never really truly being comfortable in Toronto. And then eventually the the conversations with the coaches and then with Kyle getting waved, uh, Kyle waving him and, and stuff like that. Uh, I thought that was a, a much better episode. This one to me uh, with the trade deadline stuff, with the Galchenyuk stuff. Uh, there's a few things here that I really enjoyed and liked getting a, um, you know, kind of a, a peek behind the scenes a little bit more. And there's some stuff like that isn't even in the conversation that you really got to, you really got to drill down on. Like when they are talking about the trade deadline, um, there's a, like a momentary, it's not momentary. It's not like it just flashes, but it's not up there for a very long time. It's like a picture that you can see of, um, I don't know what the software would have been, but it's obviously a chat that the management group has going. Right. And so you can see who they're targeting. They're having these conversations and, uh, one of the oh, there was three names on the on the board: uh, Goligoski and uh, Dmitry Kulikov, and then Greg Patterson, um, all who are clearly being looked at to maybe come in and be that sixth or seventh defenseman. They, if you recall, they ended up getting Ben Hutton. Um, so we don't find out what the asking prices for those guys were or anything like that. But you can see those are the types of names that are being thrown around and little nerdy things like that. I I found pretty interesting, right? So. That was kind of cool. Since we're already talking about the trade deadline, why don't we start there, um, you know, in terms of the access that we got. And, you know, the they kind of, 
they show him answering calls from um, Yarmo Kekalainen as they're getting ready to make the the Nick Foligno deal. And you can't hear um, Yarmo's side of the conversation. And you don't get much from Kyle's, but you can kind of see how this deal came together. And it was interesting to me because if you remember back when we talked about the trade deadline when it happened last year, I was fine with them going out and getting Felino, but I thought the price was too high, and that centered around the first-round pick that went out. But it's clear here that that's a given. They're going to give up the first-round pick to do that. But on top of that, there's two fourth-round picks, and one of those goes to Columbus, but the other goes to San Jose because the trade actually sends Felino to San Jose first. San Jose takes half the salary, and then... Um, San Jose technically trades him to Toronto is how it works, right? It's a three-way deal. And so it wasn't just the first, it's two-fourths. And we get to see how this comes to be. And and Kyle's asking for the fourth to be pushed down the road to 2023, I believe. And Yarmo's holding firm. He doesn't want it to be that long. I think it ends up being a 2022. And we get Kyle's rationale. And he says, I've already sort of decided I'm giving up the first. And we want this player... Um, So am I really going to lose the guy over a fourth round pick? And he kind of shrugs like as he's talking to his guys, as he's talking to the camera, um, like I'm not going to lose Nick Foligno over a fourth round pick, which you can argue all day whether that's right or wrong. Like you do have to worry about your assets. And to me, the first round pick was still too much to be paid. Uh, They never could have predicted the injury and the fact that he would hardly play um, and he would be hobbled by that injury and stuff. So you know, obviously, in hindsight, the deal looks terrible. You don't get out of the first round. He hardly plays for you. He gets hurt, um, and you gave all this up to get him. There's no way around the fact that, in hindsight, the deal looks terrible. But even at the time, a lot of people didn't love the deal. Um, but at least now you get the rationale. And to me, it doesn't change my mind, but it does show me how we got there, right? So um, you can sort of throw that into the conversation Um in terms of, okay, how did we end up making a deal like that? And and so it was very cool to be kind of taken into the war room and shown how we got to that moment. So while they're in the, the war room there, we do see, you know, they put, I'm sure they told him, but they put Nick Felino on speakerphone when they called to say he was coming to Toronto and Kyle has a fairly jovial conversation with him and, you know, welcomes him to the Leafs and these sorts of things. So those sorts of things uh, I thought were pretty cool. And, and we do get to see Kyle working through. Um, remember, everything was very gray. Uh, and, uh, you know, we didn't understand what was happening with Freddie at this point and when he might be back and when he wouldn't. So we didn't know whether they needed to go get another goalie. Um, there was just no info out there. And that turned out to be the case inside the organization as well. And you can see Kyle talking to, um, you know, members of the the medical team and the coaching staff, whatever, and they basically say to him, that's yeah, still uncertain. We don't know. We have no idea when he's going to be back on the ice. And that's how they end up going out and getting uh, David Riddish. So, um, you know, interesting kind of behind the scenes stuff there. To me, that stuff as a kind of a nerd for what happens in the war rooms and stuff like that. Uh, to me, that was a, a very interesting part of it. And and I was glad we kind of got taken inside uh, that much. And like I said, even just the shots of the that chat window where they're it's in text, the guys that they're talking about and uh, somebody did not seem very high on on Greg Patterson, so uh, that's why he didn't end up in Toronto. But that was really cool. Um, 
what else did we get into here? I can't remember the order I wanted to hit this. I've left my notes in the other. Uh, okay. Um, Alex Gilchenyuk. This was interesting to me too. They, they bring him aboard. And one of the first things about Gelchenyuk we see is a conversation between Dubis and Keefe. And Sheldon Keefe says like, if we're ever going to play him, it should be right now, shouldn't it? Like he's just gotten there and he wants to put him right in the lineup and see what he's got. Kyle pushes back hard against that. Because that, to me, at that point, we're just making the same mistake everybody else makes. And he goes, I want to give this guy time. I want to see whether it's him and, you know, he's been mismanaged or whether it's something that he's got a problem with. Like, and he, he says, and kind of alludes to more than once, he goes, I don't want to make the same mistake everybody else is making. So, um, and it seems like it wasn't heated, but Keefe was prepared to make that mistake too. If you believe it's a mistake, Kyle's view was that it would be. Um, he wanted to send him down, wanted to give the development team a little bit of time and, uh, you know, give him some time with the Marlies and get him used to the way things are done in Toronto and, and just get a feel for his game and see if there's anything they could help him with. But it was interesting there to see that, you know, these guys who are so joined at the hip uh, in Keefe and uh, Dubas, you know, can still at times see these things very differently, right? And, um, you know, Keefe wanted to throw him right in and, and Kyle pushed back and said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And so to me, that was an interesting kind of peek inside um you know, that relationship, not just a peek at how they handled the Galchenyuk thing. It was actually, okay, so, you know, this this is about as different of an approach as you could possibly want to take, and you guys are on opposite sides of it, right? So that was interesting. Um, not necessarily to say either one of them was right or wrong. Uh, you know, we have no idea whether Galchenyuk would have been the exact same had he been thrown in right away or whether he might have been better or worse, like, we don't know. But it was interesting to get a glimpse of that uh, dynamic between Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas. And the Galchenyuk thing remains interesting to me to this day. Like, people got really snarky on the li- online. It was one comment from one media member that said the Leafs had rebuilt him. And this is the way Twitter works, right? Especially when it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. People just grab a little, oh, they fixed him, the Toronto Maple... One person said that, and... You take it and run it with it, and before you know it, it's exploded, and every time he makes a mistake, I thought the Leafs fixed him. The Leafs never said that. <laughs> it's just the way people jump all over this shit, right? So, But he was he remains to this day an interesting case. He, he didn't come back to Toronto um, at the end of the season. It sort of sounds like there was a bit of interest from the Leafs, but they weren't prepared to pay him anything more than what they did, like what he was making last year with... Uh, I guess it would have been Ottawa who signed him. I can't remember if he was traded to Ottawa or if he was a free agent in Ottawa. They wave him and Carolina trades him and whatever all went down there for him to get there. But he just sort of disappeared. I thought at the money he was making, um, he was fine. Again, people want to get snarky about rebuilt him and fixed him and stuff like that. He was fine. Um, not stupendous, not fantastic, not over the moon, but not terrible. Like certainly better than he'd been in a while. And he was played in the right place. And that was one of the things, you know, as we circle back to that Keefe and Dubas conversation, it wasn't just a conversation about sending him down versus keeping him up. Kyle says, if we're just going to play him at the bottom of the lineup like everybody else, and I think that's where he's alluding to how other teams were making mistakes with him. He's not that type of player. He's not a checking forward. He's not a fourth line, grind it out kind of guy. He's got to be able to play with your skilled guys higher in the lineup and have those sorts of opportunities or it's not worth it. And so 
Kyle wasn't interested in just throwing him in on the third or fourth line, right? And um, so when he does get his shot last year with the Leafs, uh, it's with, I believe, the Tavares line first. And I, I think he did see a game or two with Matthews. I, I can't remember. But they're playing him high in the lineup to see what he can do. And his defensive warts are still there and all that. But he's playing fine. And he did contribute some points in that playoff series. But, of course, in Game 5, he throws that pass away like a minute into overtime. Uh, gives the Habs a 2-on-0, Suzuki and Caulfield, which they bury, and uh, and win the game. So I wonder... Um, like I said, it does sound like there was some interest on each side about him coming back this year, but I wonder if at the end of the day, it was just both he and the team knew I'm always going to be that guy now. Like I'll never live that down. And the Leafs, you know, let's just cut ties with that storyline altogether. Um, you know, whether that had something to do with it, uh, not that the team necessarily in the locker room was going to hold it against him forever although you would remember it no doubt but the fan base I mean it's so huge and the social media thing and all that stuff especially for a guy who had been a little bit fragile maybe it's just I need to get out of here and and not be around that which would be fair but it also seemed like he felt like he could get more money somewhere else um whether that's turned out to be true or not he's on a PTO in Arizona everyone seems to think they will give him a contract he does live in Arizona still in the off seasons. So maybe he was happy to get back there and, and now he can play there. They've torn that thing right down to the studs. Um, he will get minutes there. He'll get power play time there and then maybe gets traded to a good team at the deadline. But if he had been willing to sign in Toronto for a million bucks or close to league min or whatever for another year, maybe he gets to play a whole year with Tavares. Nylander ends up, you know, putting up, I don't know, 20 goals. Um, and then has a much better case for a much better contract going into free agency next year, right? So just a difference of approach, but I'm a little off topic, but that was sort of always the point here is to see how some of these things got started and sort of the behind the scenes of it on the documentary. So just to see the different approaches there, and he seems really excited to be there when he does finally get called up later in the episode. Uh, Keith calls him aside and says, you know, we're going to put you right in there. You're going to play with Tavares and and Nylander, and you know what to do with guys like that. Like, there's lots of skill there. You'll be fine. He's smiling. He goes, yeah, like, I'll be fine with those guys. Um, so he's clearly happy to have the opportunity to, but uh, just interesting to see how uh, there were some differences of opinions, um, you know, in terms of how to bring him into the organization. One of the other things I thought that was really interesting is we are now into the meat of, and like I referenced earlier, why Kyle had to go out and get David Riddick. Uh, we're now into the meat of the Freddie injury thing and you know when is he back what's wrong with him they don't really know uh but before some of that they're talking in a coach's meeting uh about the goaltending and whether it's been good enough and whether it hasn't and steve briere the goaltending coach um he's defending freddie uh he says something along the lines of well the first one there was nothing he could do on and then there's one off muzz's ass and he's got to and the other guys are kind of shrugging their shoulders like come on and and uh i can't remember which one it was but keith says that one's got to be stopped and briere says what off his ass like what do you want him to do and keith like right in his face fuck off like he's pissed he's had enough of defending freddie uh he's seen enough obviously his confidence in freddie is already well down and it doesn't become a huge thing like where there's tension between the coaches now moving forward but you can see there was Keith was fed up, right? And he wasn't going to hear Steve Briere defending him any longer. Um, 
you just you know even if it was true even if it was off muzz's ass and he did have a hard time like clearly he's seen this enough times that his goalies are being defended when he can't get a save and he needs someone to stand up and and take responsibility for that and so yeah there is this moment where he looks right at the goalie coach and says fuck off and like we're done with that whole thing we're done defending this he's got to at some point he's got to make a save for us so kind of this peek inside of you know how um you know how that that confidence eroded and broke down and at times pretty quickly uh through the midway point of the season that he had just had enough and uh you know of Fred and the way he'd been playing but also of of the goaltending coach defending him and um you know at some point Keefe had just clearly decided that's not my guy and uh he had moved on to to Campbell and and I guess was done hearing any excuses for it but I mean, Fred is clearly frustrated. We get to see that a couple of times. Like this sort of, I had sort of forgotten, I guess. Like I didn't forget that there had been a bunch of injuries to all the goalies and they were sort of back and forth until it eventually just became obvious that it was Campbell's net and all this stuff, right? But just how up and down it was. He's in the lineup. He's out of the lineup. He's not making saves. He's, you know, and I remember defending him for a while uh, that some of those things weren't necessarily his fault, but the organization wasn't buying it. And I, it was interesting just sort of to see we're in the middle portion of the season right now in episode three and the kind of frustration that was there that he's good, he's not good, he's fine, he's not fine. Uh, and on Fred's face too, like you could see moments, you know, in the locker room and in the interviews where he's not happy with how he's played and uh, and he knows it's, it's not been good enough. So, um, you know, kind of a reminder almost taking you back to that point in the season and uh, to just what a mess it actually was. Uh, there's other moments of frustration that we kind of get a look at. Uh, it's right around March 16th, um, I believe is the date they posted there. And Kyle has a meeting with the team. Um, we don't know whether it was scheduled or not, but he kind of walks in, he wants to address the group. And the Leafs have just fallen out of first place for the first time since, I don't know, probably the second week of the season or, or whatever it is. And he sort of addresses the the... The frustration that's gone on with like being quarant not quarantined, but you know all these extra restrictions and the masking and the stuff like that, and how it, he knows it's getting tougher. But he says the only thing I give a shit about is the quality of our team and our play right now. Like he's upset, and you can tell he's starting to feel the pressure a little bit. And right around the same time, Keith has a practice running, and we see him at the end of the you know or somewhere in the middle of the the practicing this practice has been fucking useless. Like this is dog shit. Nobody's doing anything. Um, and he's, 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 you've wasted 30 minutes of our time. We just ran, you know, somebody busts a drill that doesn't, you know, it doesn't work right. And he goes, what have we just been working on for the last 15 minutes? And, um, and he kind of calls me almost like high school kids, right? Like he goes, do you just want to fuck off and, and go home for the day? Or do we want to run this drill and finish a good practice? And everybody's kind of quiet. And he goes, what do you want to do? Do you want it? Like he holds them to it. And somebody pipes up and says, yeah, like we'll finish the drill. But it was very confrontational. And you can see the frustration is kind of setting in for both Dubas and Keefe. And uh, the Leafs go out. They win the next game, which, of course, makes Keefe look good. And he comes in. They've played well. He comes in for the post-game press conference. And he knows, or not press conference, the post-game meeting in the dressing room. He knows he's been riding them hard. He knows now they've got to win, so he's got to kind of pick his moments, and all he says is, I got nothing. Let's get on the bird. And the the team all cheers, right? Like, yeah, let's get out of here, right? 
because they don't know what to expect. Is has this win been enough? Was it good enough? And they just probably aren't really in the in the mood for whether it be a positive or a negative speech. Like we've heard enough from you for a little while. And I thought it was really interesting that Keith recognized that in that moment and just goes, I got nothing. Let's get out of here. And and clearly the boys all loved it. Right, gave him the big round of applause and, and kind of broke the tension a little bit as they got that win. So that was an interesting kind of moment, too, as we're seeing the, you know, the pressure of the season, both performance wise on the ice, but also, you know, we sort of forget all the protocols that they were going through at this point. Everybody's a little on edge. Everybody's a little tense at this point. So uh, interesting peek behind the behind the scenes there as well. There was sort of another, if you remember in episode two, I talked about that scene with John Taveras and uh, his uncle and how what a weird, cringy couple of minutes that was and how it seemed a little forced or a little performed. Um, there is another one of those here as they're clearly trying to get some stuff in with the guys away from the rink and stuff like that. That's what all of these are obviously supposed to be. Um, and so this one is uh, Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall, and they're in Muzz's backyard, and he's got a little golf course set up, and they joke that it's the only golf course in Ontario that's open right now. So they're chipping away, and they're having this weird conversation about whether aliens exist. Now, maybe this is the type of stuff they talk about anyway, or maybe someone just suggested it as something that you guys could riff on while we're getting this footage. They joke about which of their teammates might be aliens, and of course, it's Austin Matthews. No earthly being could do what he does. And it's just weird. Now, luckily... Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall both seem to have enough natural charisma and personality to kind of pull it off a little bit better. You know, we talked about how uncomfortable John Taveras looked doing his, um, and it's different. He's a different personality and it's family and you're looking for a different vibe. Um, this one still seemed weird just because of the conversation and the forced sort of nature of it. But these guys together clearly, you know, are comfortable joking around together and, um, you know, could turn it into something that made it a little less cringeworthy, but you're still sort of like, this is weird. Why are we here? Like, why are we seeing this particular moment? So, uh, that was a little bit odd and, and it seemed kind of forced into, um, into the dock, but you know, it's, it's harmless enough, but it's just kind of odd. Uh, last thing I guess I should get to, and I should have maybe brought it up at the beginning when they were talking about the trade deadline is, um, Brandon Prinham who, for people who don't know, is one of the assistant general managers. He is the guy tasked with running the cap and making sure he understands all the loopholes. And, you know, the Leafs pretty well known for finding ways to kind of LTIR this guy or send that guy down on a certain exemption or exception. That's all Prinham. And I guess uh, he worked for the league when they drew up one of the CBAs. So he's got a very good understanding of it. And so there's kind of a fun scene as we're talking about balancing the taxi squad and Kyle says that's been a nightmare, like trying to figure out, okay, that guy can go to the taxi squad, but this guy would have to be sent down first. This guy is a waiver guy. This guy isn't. And so they're talking about what if we call so-and-so up and can we do this? And Prinham is sort of sitting beside Keefe and uh, Dubas, and he's clearly moving the pieces around on his laptop. And he goes, yeah, you can do that. And nope, can't do that. That won't fit. Yeah, that'll work, but you'd have to send this guy down. Could we bring Marinson up or to, to the taxi squad? No, you can't do that. And so it, they kind of, you know, we don't hear a lot from Prinham. We all know who he is. If you're a hardcore Leaf fan, kind of behind the scenes, making all this stuff fit under the cap since Toronto is always so tight to it. 
but you almost never hear him speak or, or see him doing anything. And so it was just kind of funny that, you know, this scene where he's almost putting up the green light, red light to all the ideas that the management team might have about who they might want to bring up, and what they might want to do. He's like, nah, no, can't do that. Oh yeah, nope, this will fit, but you have to send that guy down to make it work. And uh, so that was sort of a fun to me, anyway, a fun element of seeing just how the the front office works and how tight to it they are, right? Like, and Kyle's looking right at him, going, can I do that? Like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the boss, but I need to ask the numbers guy, is this actually even possible for me to make the move I want to make? So, um, I don't know. Like I said, a lot of kind of maybe nerdy stuff about the management side of things, which I've always been kind of interested in. And, and we've heard so much about it, right? That that this management team is so analytically driven and so numbers driven. And they, it's always been like Kyle's this new kind of GM. The more we get into this, the less and less I believe that. I think he's got certain inclinations and he's more willing to uh, look at things that other teams aren't willing to look at. But the fact that it might be the entire basis for the way he runs the team, I've pushed against that narrative in the past when people, you know, like to rip him. Um, I think he's more of a hockey guy than people think. Uh, and this is sort of backing some of that up, but it has been interesting to kind of see the, the, you know, inner workings and the behind the scenes side on the management stuff. So, uh, all in all pretty fun. Like I said, I think this so far has been my favorite episode. Um, you know, and it's just sort of been one of those ones where, you know, you got to see the trade deadline stuff and, and why they decided. So, um, like it was worth it to give up that extra pick to get. Uh, and they even say, you know, at some point they say that uh, Kekalainen has four teams prepared to give up a first for Felino. And one of the scouts pipes in and says, that means our, f- our first is going to be the worst. Because at the time, the Leafs are near first place, right? So their first round pick will be worth the least of those. So that's where the talk of the fourth round pick starts coming in. But we should also remember... And Kekalainen says he was going to run it by Felino, right? Felino had was very, very well respected there in Columbus, and I believe even had a no trade. And so, you know, he would ask him which team he wanted to go to. So that ended up helping Toronto. But even the the conversations that go on, right? Well, our first round pick isn't going to be worth as much as the other three that he's got on the table. So that could hurt us, and we may have to give up more. And uh, so all those sorts of all those sorts of things. So uh, that's it for episode three. We'll be back with episode four on Wednesday at noon. Uh, Yeah, like I said, this one was fun. I've enjoyed this. I would love to know which episode, if you guys have checked this out, you've enjoyed the most or uh, what you thought uh, the coolest part was or the most interesting thing you've seen thus far. But uh, otherwise, uh, my name is Matt Robinson. This has been Tall or Nothing, episode three, and we will see you on Wednesday at noon.